you know, we, we don't put a lot of revenue behind our innovation budget. We kind of go in thinking like this is all going to fail, and but we would be happy if we got one one win out of it. And then the failures were all learnings. Welcome to the Purpose and Profit Podcast. A show dedicated to uncovering the surprising ideas at the intersection of causes and brands. What are the trends that are impacting nonprofit and business leaders alike? And what can we learn to apply and grow impact? Hi, I'm Dave Rayley. And I'm Carly Berna. And this is the Purpose and Profit Podcast. Welcome to the podcast today. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about a subject that I think a lot of people might uh, roll their eyes at, but I think is a really critical topic to uh, talk about with nonprofit and business leaders alike, and that is crypto. Um, cryptocurrency. So it's an interesting trend that we've been seeing in the space, especially on the philanthropy side of things. And so we're going to be diving in and talking about that. Before we do, I want to introduce our guest. Evan Johnson is the Senior Director of Mass Market Fundraising at Project Hope. Evan, it's good to have you here today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here too. So Dave, before we get started, uh, for those listeners who don't know a lot about crypto, um, or it's just been a topic they've totally avoided, can you just kind of give us, uh, you know, set the context, what is crypto? Um, why is it important? You know, why should they be listening? Yeah, crypto is short uh, for cryptocurrency. And before I dive in, this is my attempt at a layman's version of crypto. I am not a cryptocurrency expert. But I do think it's something that we've all heard about, and um, I think it gets confused with a lot of different types of technology and things that are going on. So let me just give a a bit of a layman's uh, definition just to set the context for our conversation. Um, So it's a form of currency, um, but it's unique. You know, the currency that you and I typically think of would be things like dollars, you know, pounds, yen. Um, but it's unique in a couple different ways. Uh, first it's digital only. So there's no, uh, physical coins or paper money. Um, it's also different in that it's not backed by a central system such as a central bank or government systems. In fact, one of the terms you'll hear thrown around around crypto is the idea of DeFi or decentralized finance. And the, uh, the idea is that there is no central system or nation that controls the flow of those those funds and uh, as you can imagine that has both pluses and minuses Um, you know pluses in terms of there's a lot of middlemen so to speak in the financial systems and that can slow things down and add fees along the way so uh, crypto has a promise of being able to move things more easily and more quickly, uh, especially across nations. Um, there's also no single point of failure, uh, like a central bank failing or anything like that. Um, some of the disadvantages, it's very volatile in terms of pricing because of some of the lack of central systems to, to hold them up. Um, high energy consumption, there's a whole uh, uh crypto mining thing that we won't get into, but it's a pretty uh, computer intensive process. And um, the crypto uh, is really secured by a form of security called blockchain. And so people confuse blockchain and crypto. And the way to think about it is that blockchain is the underlying 
platform, the security protocols that crypto can be traded on. And essentially blockchain is based on the idea of every computer on the network has all of the crypto uh, transactions recorded and copied across all of the computers on the network. So it's really impossible to sort of fudge or manipulate the data because every every computer has the same set of data. And so crypto is based on uh, protocols called blockchain. And there are a lot of different cryptocurrencies out there. Um, the two most well-known cryptocurrencies are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Bitcoin's the, the sort of the original, um, but there are many, many different currencies that are out there. Um, today, we're not going to talk about, okay, how to invest in crypto. This is not a financial advice podcast. Um, uh, you are on your own if you decide to invest in crypto. But it is something that has really become a big topic in today on both the consumer business side of things, but also interestingly on the crypto donation side of things, which is what we're going to talk about uh, next. Um, last thing I would say is that really this conversation is uh, today about crypto, but it's also really a metaphor of sorts for any sort of shiny new technology innovation. Um, and so while we will be talking about crypto, we're also just meta talking about the idea of what do you think about in terms of new innovations, new technologies, when do you jump on board? Are you an early adopter, a late adopter, those sorts of things. So hopefully the lessons today will go well beyond crypto itself. Yeah, I think that's a good explanation. Very succinct. I've watched 20 minute YouTube videos about crypto. So um, that was a short definition, and I'm sure Evan can correct anything that uh, he disagrees with. But um, thanks again for joining us, Evan. If you could just kind of start by telling us a little bit about your background, your role at your current organization, and what they do. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, work for Project Hope, and we are a global health and humanitarian organization working on the front lines of the world's greatest health crises and challenges. Um, we also respond to disasters and conflicts, and we work to create long-term change. Uh, we've been around for over 60 years, and we've transformed the health and well-being of more than 50 million people in over 100 countries. Right now, we are focused especially on the Ukraine conflict. We have a very robust response inside Ukraine, delivering medical supplies and humanitarian aid, as well as helping with mental health support. And we're also in surrounding countries in Romania, Moldova, and Poland in particular. And then we work in six main areas, including um, the COVID-19 pandemic response, maternal, neonatal, and child health, infectious and non-communicable diseases, uh, training health workers, and protecting mental health, and then the previously mentioned disasters and health crises. I myself work for our development and communications team as the senior director of our mass market fundraising program, which is focused on digital and offline um, mass market marketing channels to raise funds from individual donors uh, below 10,000. This includes like email, direct mail, telemarketing, digital advertising, like over Facebook and YouTube and other channels. Um, as well as like trying to grow a monthly giving program or even like a subset of, of donors that um, give at a higher level but below major gifts. 
And then why I'm talking today is we're also just focused on peer-to-peer fundraising and reaching other audiences and other ways to give and always do both traditional fundraising, but continuing to try different things to try and always be kind of ahead of the game while we're doing best practices, but also trying to be ahead of the game and figure out what's next in fundraising and what we can do to help increase the impact of Project Hope. Yeah, Evan, in fact, the way you and I originally connected was because of this whole topic of crypto donations. Um, I did a post on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, I could hardly believe I was doing a a post on crypto donations this early in the tech cycle, so to speak. Um, But um, you were featured in an article uh, uh, of Chronicle of Philanthropy on crypto donations. And, you know, it's interesting how that came up. And I want you to tell the story of how you got involved with crypto donations, what, um, what led to that. And then especially, I think it's fascinating to think about the, um, the situation in Ukraine and what has been happening and how that response has really driven donations. So uh, just give us a quick backstory. I know you're you're looking, you know, at the landscape of innovation and opportunities to help Project Hope do more. Um, just talk about that from a crypto perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we are partnered with a, a company called The Giving Block, which is focused on working with nonprofits like ourselves to help both engage with crypto philanthropists and that audience on their end, make it easy for them to find causes that they care about and can donate their crypto to, much like a stock gift. Um, And then help with kind of like what you were talking about earlier, nonprofits who may not be super familiar with cryptocurrency and how to accept it and all of that. So they have a widget that you can plug in essentially to your website uh, as well as through their own and take gifts very easily, just like a regular donation page. So it's very, it makes it very easy and seamless. And they help with, again, just like marketing and engaging with this audience. Um, when I was at Project Hope, I, I had come from another NGO, which I had worked with for eight years. And I had just started, had a, like probably a few months before the pandemic really hit uh, in 2020 with the the shutdowns and that's when digital giving really especially took off in a big way and the giving block had approached us to start up accepting crypto and there was so much going on at the time i really wanted to do it i just didn't have the bandwidth to do it and it was very early on i mean they had a great uh it was really great actually a really great program uh campaign that they wanted to do uh a year later they had raised millions and millions of dollars for all their nonprofit partners. And I was like, I should have gotten on board. I should have done it then. <laughs> so I did sign, I did sign on um, and uh, this, this past year and embarked upon the journey of trying to figure this all out and market and engage with the cryptocurrency community. And so um, you mentioned Ukraine uh, so for us, the it's definitely a hard. It was hard to really break in, not as a first mover, like where people were just looking for fewer organizations. It's very much more saturated um, with a lot of organizations now who have signed on. Um, but from when the Ukraine conflict happened, um, that's when we really started to see cryptocurrency take off for us. Just for context, what kind of dollars were you seeing? Uh, raised on that 
we had raised uh, $800 before the Ukraine conflict happened. Um, and, you know, the typical, and I, I wasn't discouraged because we had just really started up, the typical uh, amount a charity should raise, uh, according to the Giving Block, is $30,000 a year. <clears throat> Some can raise a million. It's their large gifts. The average gift um, can be $1,200. Uh, so there are large gifts that that can come in, which makes it a very um, straightforward way of like if you can put the time and energy in, you could have a big big impact because of the type of amount of large donations you can get from this community. Yeah. So you you before the crisis, you had raised eight hundred dollars, which you know hardly uh, breaks the bank, right? But you've seen a lot of response since the emergence of the situation. That's right. So one of the challenges was because we weren't a first mover, um, now there's a lot more organizations out there. And it's not something as simple and traditional fundraising where if you you know, pay for ads and you market to people like on Facebook to make a donation, um, it's not as straightforward. This is very much a community where you have to be on where they are. A, a lot of this is on Twitter. And a lot of it is more like a, a major gifts program where you're, you you have to have relationships and engagement and back and forth. So you have to definitely get the word out and your brand out there and your cause, um, but also have people that can engage back and forth. And so we were when we were raised eight hundred, you know, we were trying a lot of the marketing, but not doing a lot of the engagement in the social media, organic social media. We had really just started to, to kind of figure that out. But when Ukraine happened, the awareness of our organization, what, because we were quick to respond, um, that made it no longer an issue. People now knew who we were and they were looking for organizations responding to Ukraine that they could give to. And so that's when giving took off. Um, it's And for our, our brand and our size and just starting out, we've raised $70,000 from 36 donors with some NFT projects that are underway and more people kind of reached out to us, which for us is really great because we are just starting out with this audience and people are just getting to know us. And there's a lot of other organizations that uh, have more brand awareness. So I'm, it's now giving us that boost to really focus even more on engaging with this audience. And I think, I think if I remember correctly from that original article, it was, you know, compared to some of the other channels that was, you know, I don't know, 10%. Um, is there, a, is there sort of a, of the total response that you've seen kind of idea of how it kind of sort of compares? Yeah, it's very small compared to our traditional fundraising. So it's very much still a new channel, but we know the the type of impact this can have. So we definitely see this as a long view, like 70,000, uh, going from 800 with no awareness to 70,000 with awareness with a lot of other organizations is a really good sign that the more we put in, the more we'll be able to get back from our efforts. And the, the even better thing is it's we don't have to put in money to do it. It's us, like time and engagement. And so the next emergency, the next end of year, this will just continue to build to what I would hope. You know, you never know what type of transformative donation could come in from a crypto donor. So kind of going back to what you were saying about how you were marketing, were you trying to target an audience that already knew about crypto and engage them? Or 
were you trying to target an audience who maybe wasn't so sure about it? And did you have to explain it to them? Yeah, we were targeting uh, people who know all about crypto. Essentially, it, the challenge was to get noticed and to find people who cared about our mission and wanted to donate to our cause. Um, there is an element of uh, people who have crypto who want to give back that also they love, and the Giving Block says this too, especially early on, they love when a charity announces that they now take crypto because they're very much, um, they care about this as being an accepted form of uh, donations and investment, right? And so uh, the Giving Block would always say, that, you know, like you just announce that you take crypto and you would probably get thank you donations just for now taking crypto. And so that's that was part of it is announcing that you have crypto for anybody that already cares about you. But then yes, the other piece was marketing to say, hey, we are Project Hope. This is our mission. You should that you if you care about it, you can donate to us. And a lot of that is very much like organically through social media, especially Twitter. But we did, you know, try, you know, we've tried paid search. Um, we've, we have tried advertisements and things like that. But it's very it's like a it's like a plan giving program where we see it as get, keep getting the word out there and it built and you may not it's not like you're gonna do an ad or a paid search sherman someone's gonna click and donate but you hope that maybe they are as they're doing their research they see you and they make a note of that and then maybe down the line you get a large gift when they're ready to make their donation and were you able to tell what the demographics were of those people who were donating via crypto they're, yeah, they're on the younger side, um, millennials. I know that the gaming block says m mostly male um, is is the demographic. You mentioned a couple minutes ago, Evan, this you know feeling like you missed on the first mover advantage, and this is something that I think is really important for business and cause leaders to think about. And there is that kind of fear of missing out, like oh man, I wasn't the first in the market, which I, I do think there is a a reality there, but. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the uh, the technology hype cycle, but this is something that I'd encourage our listeners to check out. And it's um, it's uh, put out by a company called Gartner. And um, the the you, if you picture a curve of sort of expectations for any new technology, it's pretty interesting. It it talks about how every new technology starts with an innovation trigger. You know, somebody sees a need and creates a creates a technology. Um, but likewise, every technology goes through this process of what, what they call the peak of inflated expectations, which I think a lot of people would probably wonder where crypto is on that. Gar Gartner does place crypto and NFTs and those sorts of things somewhere in that, in that peak. But every technology also then tends to go through this hype cycle of everybody thinks it's going to solve everything and it's going to be the next big thing you know, since sliced bread. But then ultimately the the process after the peak of inflated expectations is the trough of disillusionment, which I just think is very poetic. Um, and then you move on from there to the slope of enlightenment and the plateau of productivity. In fact, we could do a whole show on this, but if you think of crypto, yes, you know, you weren't the first nonprofit to sign on, but also, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but you're probably ahead of 95% of nonprofits. So Evan, as you think about just innovation in general and other um, 
other technologies or, you know, social media fundraising, things like that. Um, how have you seen that uh, new technologies or new channels get pushed forward in situations like this? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is whether you're a first mover or if you see something that you didn't get in on the first time, you can still do it. I think with anything like for me, uh, as part of like my innovation budget, essentially, you know, as a nonprofit, we don't have huge marketing budgets, but we do. And what that means, and we have to, we have to be very efficient with the way we spend our money because we're ultimately trying to either raise immediate net revenue for the organization to do, to hit the the goals that we have promised our programs teams, but also focused on growing revenue. And so there's like acquisition that we have to do um, in addition to just um, donations from our current supporters. So we have to get new and retain our current. And you never, like the, there are certain parts of the fundraising uh, channels that kind of have stayed tried and true, like direct mail, for example, that everyone always thinks that that's just going to eventually not work or go away and it hasn't. Um, but, and, and then there were, there's other channels that people think that'll never take off, but then they do. And it can happen very quickly. Like Facebook, Facebook advertising. I remember back in like years ago, it, what it didn't work. Right. And then, uh, as a, and nonprofit focused all of our investments on direct mail acquisition. But then uh, as digital became more and more prominent and Facebook built their their program it, and our donors started going on to Facebook, mentioning the demographic earlier, uh, 65 and up, they, they're now on Facebook. And so those are the direct mail donors are now on there, right? And then that started taking off. And so we're moving all of our investment there. But now with a lot of the privacy changes and things like that from iOS, it's harder. And so the challenge that nonprofits face now, and direct mail is more expensive, is where are donors at? Like, where where can we find new donors? Where are our current supporters going? And so it's important that we carve out time and budget, and then organization allows it to experiment both creatively as well as looking at new channels. And you just you know you you kind of d- define what the success is. Am I going in this with a small budget to kind of see what we get? And it's, you know, here's the risk threshold. And then what do we want to learn from it? What's our th- time and threshold? Like, is it one or two, three years? And so that's like with crypto, right? Where I was saying, you know, not a lot of investment, but it's time. And so how does this fit in? And what's, this, what's our success? And so just be smart about it. And if you're a first mover, it's even riskier. And so it's just important, again, to kind of like, really go in knowing what what it is and how much you're investing both time and and money and then what what is success to you yeah you know it's interesting you mentioned um facebook fundraising i remember years ago uh organizations coming to me and saying hey you know how can we raise more money on Facebook? or how, how can we raise money period on facebook and in the early years the answer was you don't you know it's a relational channel it's an opportunity to grow your brand and engage people but it's not really a fundraising channel and you know the first time that uh, there was a huge breakthrough in the area of fundraising 
uh, in Facebook and with social media was in response to the Haiti earthquake in 2010. And that was kind of a pivotal moment. And it's interesting, and just for our listeners, and this, this goes for both business and causes, that there are often these major disruptive events. And in those disruptions, as by the way, as sad as they are, you know, tsunamis and hurricanes and wars uh, and pandemics, uh, but these major disruptive events are often the, the linchpin, they're the innovation triggers, so to speak, that cause these uh, opportunities to move forward. And so I do think, and, and what I wrote about in that post that, that we ultimately connected on was that um, this terrible invasion um, of the Ukraine has catalyzed um, this crypto donation market. And the, and the most interesting thing about it to me is not just that there's this catalytic event that has caused crypto to sort of uh, hit the scene as far as donations. But today you still, for the most part, can't pay for you know your Amazon purchase, purchases on uh, via crypto. And so in this way, nonprofits are actually ahead of the, the brand world. And so it's something that we can all learn from each other. Yeah, that's great. I think that's that also is it's to your point, it seems like the audience is very much a lot of them wanting to give back to causes, which so it seems like a lot of it was audience driven and that's where like the, the giving block came in too, right? Was there was a, a need there were for because nonprofits are usually behind the RAND world, right? There was a need for a third party to come in and and give an audience a way to donate to causes that didn't exist and that's really taken off so that was a a a key part in the past few years to then when nonprofits see something working we all kind of jump in right and and uh start seeing how we can also raise more funds for our mission from that new thing so I love what you said earlier about having an innovation budget, which I, um, working in the nonprofit world, don't hear that often. Uh, in the for-profit world, that would be an R&D budget. Um, so I, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about, you know, is that like a percentage of your fundraising budget or how does that work? And then I'm also interested in, um, like, you know, crypto was kind of something for you to test and see how it did. But have there been other things like that that you have tried that have just been failures that just didn't work and you just had to move on? Yep, it's a small percentage. I think it, it really depends on what your threshold is, like what, um, you know, we, we don't put a lot of revenue behind our innovation budget. We kind of go in thinking like this is all going to fail. And but we would be happy if we got one one win out of it and then the failures were all learnings like i was saying kind of earlier we we don't just try it to see if it works we try it both to see if it works but also what we can learn from it because maybe we maybe it will work later or and we've we've tried it and so we can kind of get back in and and use those learnings um yeah biggest innovation failure is is hard because um because i have to be very careful with the investment it's it's not like if something doesn't work uh i don't necessarily see it as a failure i see it as like a we we've learned that this doesn't work for us or we've learned something about it that maybe we can we can use it in a different way 
Um, and because the way that we go about testing it is enough, just enough to kind of get a read on it, but not uh, cause a huge hit um, to anything. And so I think that for me, that that's been great because we've never really like said, this is going to work. And then I put like everything into it and then it fails, it failed abysmally. Um, and so that I, I would imagine is, is the case for a lot of my fellow nonprofits. Well, and in, and in the brand world as well, you know, I was just uh, in a conversation with a brand leader uh, that has done a lot of innovation. And what they talked about is, um, I'm trying to remember the percentage. I think they said, you know, in, in their career, they had maybe 30% air quotes success rate with innovation. And, you know, I think we all need to hear that uh, regularly. I mean, it's, it's sort of cliche, but it's, that's the point of innovation. You're taking risks. And the other thing I heard, you know, Evan, and what you shared uh, is that, you know, biggest failure, I mean, you can also innovate in ways that don't, you know, aren't betting the farm, so to speak, you know, you're not, biggest failure doesn't mean like, oh, that was a catastrophe, our program's ruined now. It's no, we, we tried this thing and it didn't work or we did. So I would just encourage folks, as you think about your, uh, innovation budget and these new technologies this isn't a bet the farm kind of situation it is a okay this is a thing how can we actually engage with that yeah and i would say like the biggest failures for me usually aren't necessarily like oh that channel didn't work it's probably more of like okay that creative or that way of approaching it was a failure it didn't work let's try something else or should we try something else or should we try that again and in a different channel? Can we repurpose that in some way? So yeah, I think that it doesn't necessarily mean give up on it, but kind of like reassess as well. It's what we usually do. I mean, like with crypto, you know, when we first were starting out, you know, it it wasn't taking off. It could be considered a failure, but we weren't giving up because we realized, okay, we there here's what we aren't doing yet, and so we recalibrated and stuck with it. That's great. Well, I've got one uh, last question for you, and then uh, we'll do a little bit of a speed round. Um, so you've been in the nonprofit cause-oriented space for a number of years now. If you think about our listeners today that are not on that side of the, the fence, so to speak, that are in the, the brand world, what is something that you feel like you've learned or that you've seen in the cause world that brand leaders would really benefit from? Yeah, I think um, without having big budgets, like I'm, I'm, you know, as a nonprofit, I always envy like the brand world because they can do a lot more awareness type efforts, um, which is usually like last on our list. Like usually we're trying to do things that are designed to inspire um, people to do something, whether it be donate or uh, give us uh, your email so we can contact you. Or, uh, And a lot of that means we have to be very, uh, we, we don't do a lot of things that are very abstract uh, or not easy to grasp. Like, what is it we're trying to say? You know, we have to say, here is the problem that we need you to help us solve. Um, and the way you solve that is by doing this thing. And doesn't have to be necessarily have to be a donation, but it's something that we want them, the potential supporter, to do. 
and that we want them to do it and feel like we're their partner with us and that they are through us doing that thing and that they feel good about it. And then when they join with us, give them like sincere and genuine appreciation. So I think that that would be my advice for a brand too is, you know, and I know that you don't necessarily have to be super creative or abstract in fundraising. So I would wonder if like for a brand, if, you know, you can get very into like your creative idea, um, but don't lose sight of what it is you're actually trying to get people to do. And that's what we do as nonprofits is don't try to get excited about an idea and, and creative and into ourselves, but think about who our audience is and what they're looking for and give them what they are looking for. Yeah. Keep it simple. That's good. So like Dave said, we like to do just a quick speed round to get to know you a little bit. So I just have some questions, just, you know, answer first thing that comes to mind. Um, so the first one is what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I, I wanted to go into politics and uh, like be in government. And then I switched to like wanting to run campaigns and then realized I didn't want any of that. And then I fell into fundraising and this is what I love doing. At least you made it to DC. All right. Yep. Yeah. I, I still am DC. <laughs> okay. Next is uh, what's the best podcast you've listened to or that you'd recommend? Um, Pod Save America, I've been li listening to a lot lately, so I would say probably that that's on my that's on my list right now. Okay, huh. never heard of that one. Um, how about what hmm. book are you reading right now or recently read? Um, good question. It's been a it's been a while since I've uh, had a chance to read anything with Ukraine going on. Um, I was actually reading like I usually read like fiction, but I've been reading uh, up on. One Up on Wall Street uh, by Peter Lynch. Um, I still have to finish it, but that's the last book I was in the middle of reading. Okay. Not to put you on the spot, but what's the gist? Uh, it, it very much like, kind of like back what we were talking about before in a way of like invest in what you know. And that's the whole One Up on Wall Street approach is like, um, if, Wall, if, like uh, if you invest in what you know, then you're going to have more success then people on Wall Street. And last question, what show are you binging right now? Uh, we just finished Severance on Apple Apple TV. It was amazing. Cliff, cliffhanger ending. I definitely recommend it. <laughs> don't ruin it. I feel like I've, I, I still don't even know what it is, but I, I've had like four people tell me about it. So it's, it's getting up there. Yep. And then before that, The Last Kingdom, we just finished the series uh, on Netflix. That's my favorite favorite show and that we just finished that one well Evan thanks for joining us today I think um, I hope that uh, our listeners were um, enlightened and as again we talk about crypto and it is interesting to see how it has continued to evolve through that technology hype cycle and how nonprofits are actually taking advantage of that today um, we'll include links to information in the show notes if uh, if there's any interest there and, uh, but I also hope people just see this really as a conversation about new and emerging technologies. And, you know, the classic uh, cliche is that technology is a tool and yet it is. Uh, and it's really about having a strong strategy around that technology and knowing when to jump in and, and test uh, without uh, betting the, the farm, so to speak. So appreciate you, Evan. Thanks for joining us today. 
Absolutely. It was great being here. Thank you. For more episodes, find us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you're always up to date on recent episodes. If you're able, we'd love if you leave us a review. We enjoy reading your feedback and it helps others learn about the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Just search Purpose and Profit Podcast. We want to engage with you. So if you have feedback for the show or ideas for guests or topics we might cover, you can go to purposeandprofitpodcast.com and click contact. From there, you can sign up to receive emails every time we drop a new episode. Thanks for listening. We're excited that season one of the Purpose and Profit podcast is made possible by Masterworks, a full-service marketing and fundraising agency dedicated to moving hearts and minds to action. You can find out more at masterworks.agency.